scriptures tell us that after they had finished this last supper, they sang a hymn and then went out uh, into the night. And sometimes we wonder, what hymn did they sing? Amazing Grace? And in actuality, they would be singing uh, these scriptures. They would sing Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. So you have uh, joined with the disciples in what they sang that night. Scripture uh, this evening picks up the story after uh, the supper as Jesus is betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. We will uh, pick up in verse 47 of chapter 26. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few weeks ago, I was uh, watching a documentary on the liberation of France by the Allies in World War II. And they were showing scenes of what happened when the Allies came into Paris. And one of the things that happened is after the Nazis were driven out, one of the things that the citizens did is they started uh, collecting collaborators, uh, mostly women uh, they picked on. And the women who were accused of consorting with the Nazis, whether it was in a romantic relationship or uh, even they told the story of one person who was just hired to clean the office of the high command of Germany in Paris. Whoever had cooperated, they brought them into the center of the town. They shaved their heads and then partially stripped them and began to beat them. The shaving of heads ever since the Middle Ages has sort of been like Nathaniel Hawthorne's scarlet letter for uh, adultery. And uh, they treated uh, the collaborators, the accused collaborators, so shamefully and so terribly that even Winston Churchill was horrified when he heard the reports. But then he offered this suggestion. He said, well, you know, I live on an island that has not been conquered or occupied in more than 900 years, so I guess I don't know what it's like to live under occupied, occupying forces. And I think that's true. Or maybe he could have said, uh, uh, maybe we don't understand the depth of betrayal that the citizens in France may have felt for their fellow citizens who were uh, accused of aiding the Nazis. But I think whether we can understand that, we certainly all understand betrayal. Uh, Betrayal is an act that is always personal because it's not betrayal unless it's someone that has something, uh, has a part in us or a part of us. It is uh, sometimes surprising uh, and it is often embarrassing to be betrayed. I remember in a small town where I was a pastor once, one of the women in our church found out uh, that her husband had had an affair with uh, a co-worker. Unfortunately, it was a small town, and so most everybody else in town had found that out too. And she remarked to a number of us, I simply can't leave the house and go out in public. It's just too humiliating. It's a difficult thing to be betrayed. But the fact of the matter is that if we live long enough, all of us are betrayed in one way or another by one person 
or another. Some of us are betrayed by people in whom we put our trust, uh, perhaps a politician or a leader that uh, we, we send forth to represent us and we feel they don't represent us well. Or others of us are betrayed by a spiritual leader, someone in whom we've placed great trust and they do damage to our faith by betraying us. Others of us are betrayed perhaps by uh, employers. Although we've been faithful, we are passed over for the promotion or we're caught in a right-sizing or downsizing. Sometimes we're betrayed even by our co-workers who uh, may scheme to take advantage of us so that they get the promotion that perhaps uh, we could have been in line for. Others will be betrayed by their friends. Maybe they'll tell them in the intimacy of friendship something they've told no one else only to find out that the friend has spread that word to other people. On occasion, we are betrayed by our family members. Uh, perhaps a family member goes against the way we, we all in the family thought that we should act or believe, and that family member goes another way and, and brings reproach on our family. Or perhaps uh, we were the family member that went in a different direction than the rest of the family wanted us to go, and, and instead of supporting us, they condemned us. All of us face betrayal of one kind or another at some point in our life. And, and if we live long enough, not only are we betrayed by people, but if you're like me, sometimes your own body betrays you. And the things that you're used to your body doing for years, suddenly it does less effectively and with a lot more discomfort. We all face betrayal. So the positive part of the story this evening is simply this. Our Lord Jesus faced betrayal himself. He was betrayed by, G by Judas, but you need to know these two things about Judas. Judas is called one of the 12, which meant Judas followed Jesus around for three years, ate all the meals with Jesus, 24-7 uh, uh, he was with Jesus. He heard all the parables. He heard all the sermons. He witnessed the healings. He saw the miracles. Everything he participated in, he was one of them. The other thing you need to know about Jesus is, I mean, about Judas is that the Last Supper, when, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, they didn't all turn to Judas and point. Nobody had thought it was Judas at all. They looked at themselves and they, and they asked him, they said, Lord, is it I? They never even suspected it was Judas. They thought it'd be more likely to be them than to be Judas. So he was one of the group one of the faithful in the group, and that makes, of course, the betrayal even more painful. Interestingly, in the, when Jesus says, one of you will betray me, they, they all ask, is it I, Lord? And then Jesus points out that it's going to be Judas, and, and he responds, but he doesn't call Jesus Lord, he calls him Rabbi. Now, rabbi is an appropriate term of respect, but it's interesting that to add to the, to the shame of betrayal, he adds this little notion of disrespect, like they all think you're it after three years, but I don't really think you're it. I think you're just a teacher. And even when he finds him in the garden to point out Jesus to arrest, uh, he comes up to him and he says, greetings, rabbi. He does not call him Lord. And then, of course, uh, as a follower of Jesus, uh, he embarrasses, humiliates, uh, and dishonors Jesus in the most profound way possible by betraying him. It's almost a double shame that Jesus endures that his follower for three years doesn't recognize who he is as Lord and then also has uh, the temerity to turn him in and betray him. 
And so all of that sets up what to me is the most amazing part of the story. What does Jesus do when he's betrayed? Amazingly, Jesus takes the disrespect of the term rabbi and the disrespect of the action taken against him. And he responds with friend, friend, go do what you need to do is one translation. Do what you are here for as another translation translation. One commentator said the same Jesus who earlier in Matthew delivers the sermon on the Mount. Now here in Matthew actually acts it out by turning the other cheek by forgiving someone who has hurt him, by loving one who has become an enemy. Dr. Alexander Shia says this, that one of the things Jesus does by calling Judas friend is he treats him with both compassion and respect. And then Shia goes on to make another point. And he said, if those of us in our spiritual journeys can't get to a place where we can uh, treat betrayals as friends, and those who have betrayed us as friends, and even when we're the betrayer, to treat ourselves that way, he says we will get stuck in our spiritual journey and go no further. Which to me answers the main question I had about tonight, which is how can Jesus, in the shame and humiliation of this betrayal, befriend the one who betrays him? And the obvious answer is, well, he's Jesus. He just does things we can't do. But I think the deeper answer is Jesus knows that, in fact, if we get stuck in unforgiveness at a time of betrayal, we will be, in fact, stuck our entire life and will not move forward in our faith. It seems to me that to forgive, to make uh, a friend of the betrayer is to do at least two very important things. The first one is is this. I think it actually frees the betrayer. Uh, It lets the betrayer know that he or she can be forgiven. Jesus is giving Judas a signal that you're going to go do this, but I want you to know you're still my friend. He leaves the door wide open for Judas to experience forgiveness. And of course, the Gospels and the book of Acts are a little mixed on whether they think Judas actually accepted that or not. Some say, well, he killed himself, so he didn't accept it. But his last act was to throw the money back in the temple, which is a fulfillment of a biblical passage in Zechariah 11, which leads others to think that maybe he did get it, that Jesus was Lord after all. But what Jesus does by befriending him is leaves the door open so that he can find forgiveness. The late uh, Corey Ten Boom, whose family, of course, hid, uh, hid uh, uh, Jews from the Nazis and in, in the Netherlands, finally was arrested and she was sent to a concentration camp. A wonderful Christian, when she got out of the concentration camp at the end of the war, she went around Europe Uh, Western Europe proclaiming the forgiveness of of God through Jesus Christ. And she would give a talk where she would say um, that what God does with our sins in Jesus is, is take them and it's like they're tied to a rock and throws them in to the sea where they sink all the way to the bottom. And then she would say, and God sticks up a no fishing sign. That's how forgiven we are. And she'd give that speech over and over and people would thank her and they'd come up at the end of the service and greet her. And then she saw him coming up to greet her at the end of the service with a smile on his face. She recognized him. He was one of the guards at Ravensbrück, the concentration camp. He was one of the sadistic and cruel guards. And with a smile, he reached out his hand to shake her hand. Whether 
she, he remembered her. She wasn't sure, but she remembered him. And she said, I had to pray to God for the strength to lift my hand. And then as she lifted her hand, he said to her, I worked in a concentration camp. Can you forgive me? And she paused and she said to him, I forgive you. And his smile got even bigger as he hugged her and she didn't really want to be hugged, but he said, your message about forgiveness has moved me so deeply and I couldn't believe that God would actually forgive me for what I've done. But now that you have forgiven me, I know his forgiveness is real. And he walked off in joy. Sometimes when we make friends of the betrayer, we open the door for them to be free. But the truth of the matter is forgiveness always frees the person who forgives. The one who's betrayed is the one who actually benefits most from the forgiveness. One of the things I think forgiveness does is it reminds us that when we forgive another, it reminds us that we are forgiven and we can be forgiven. I, I was doing some more research after that documentary on the, uh, on the liberation of France and, and the treatment of the women seen as collaborators. And one of the interesting things that a man wrote a book about it, who's researched it, said in an interview, he said, what we found out about the cruelest, meanest people to the uh, accused collaborators were actually... Uh, mostly people who had committed what he called petty treason themselves. They had collaborated with the Nazis in some smaller way, but they knew that they had. And the only way they could think to deal with it, since they couldn't forgive themselves, was to lash out in greater hatred with those who had committed what they thought were bigger sins than what they had committed he said, of, uh, we interviewed a number of men who participated in the shaving of women's head. And he said, the amazing fact was a number of them were, par- were part of the French resistance, but most all of them who were part of the French resistance didn't join until way after D-Day. That they were just going along for year, months and years. And there was something in their treatment was to deal with the unforgiveness in their own life. We forgive because we open the door to our own forgiveness and it enables us then to move more freely into the future. The word forgive in Greek is a word picture. It basically means you're tying the knot and when you forgive, the knot comes untied. What we typically find out as the betrayer or the betrayed, either one, is that when forgiveness occurs, the knot is loosened and we are free. Can we make betrayer our, betrayal our friend? There's a story of two brothers. They owned a store. They went into business together, hardwoods and hard, um, hardware and then other dry goods. Uh, and in the early days of the store, they were just turning it around, beginning to make it. And one of the, uh, they were getting so busy, one of the brothers was paid for something with a $10 bill. He didn't have time to put it in the cash register. He put it on top of the cash register, went to see about another customer. And then uh, when he came back, the, the $10 bill was gone. And so he said to his brother at the end of closing day, by the way, did you put that $10 bill I'd put on the cash register in the cash register? And, and he said, what $10 bill? I never saw one. And the brother who had put the $10 bill on the cash register was outraged. He said, what do you mean you didn't saw one? I left it there. You took it, didn't you? These were hard times in the depression, but he's accused his brother of selling him out for 10 bucks. 
He said, I know times are hard. How can you do this? You took it. Just give it back and it'll be all right. And his other brother said, look, I, didn't, I never saw the $10. I didn't do anything. And they began to argue, feeling each one had been betrayed by the other. So their solution finally, after a few weeks of arguing, when they were getting no closer to resolution, was to divide the dry goods uh, from the hardware and make two separate stores. And it stayed that way for 20 years. And they never spoke, though they had an adjoining wall. And then one day, an, an old man came in and, uh, and asked uh, the brother that owned one half of it, who had put the $10 there so many years ago, he said, are you the owner of this store? And he said, I am. He said, it used to be a lot bigger. And he said, well, we, we, we remodeled. And he said, well, look, I've come to give you something. And he reached in his pocket and pulled out a $10 bill. And he said, I have to tell you that 20 years ago, I was hungry. I was poor. I couldn't find work. I came in to see if you had a job. But instead, I saw that there was $10 left on the cash register. And I took it. And I always intended to pay you back. And so, here it is. And the brother received the $10 and tears began to come down his cheek. And he realized the other brother hadn't betrayed him at all. For 20 years, they had not spoken. Now, I don't know the particular betrayals you've experienced in life. And I don't know how painful they were to you or if they are just a simple misunderstanding. But I know this. The amount of time that you've let that betrayal separate you from the one who betrayed you, however long it's been, It's been too long. 